Welcome to Seek to Speak's podcast, a podcast aimed at empowering expression, sparking speeches, and instigating ideas. It's Aisa here, and in conjunction with Mental Health Day on 10th of October, we are going to seek to speak about mental health issues. Hi, Ikram here. This is actually part two of Seek to Speak's special, 12 Malaysians Talk Mental Health, and we are continuing with stories shared by these 12 Malaysians. To understand the context of these stories, we suggest you listen to part 1 of the special. It should be right below the listing for this episode. Alternatively, you can click the link available right here. I'll wait. What? There is no here. We can't put a link up. This this isn't a visual medium. Seriously? God damn, podcasts are so limiting. On that note, let's get back on topic. So, the conversations you're about to hear are important to normalize talking about mental health. But please remember that we are not experts in the field. So, the views of our guests should be contextualized by your own experience, research, and advice from professionals. A bit of a trigger warning. We will lightly touch on sensitive issues such as depression, anxiety, and the trivialization of mental health issues. So if you're not yet ready to hear any of these, please do skip this episode and come back when you do feel comfortable. Okay, so Aisa, in the previous episode, we listened to 12 individuals talk about their experience with and understanding of mental health. What will we cover in today's episode? We'll be following the healing journeys of those having mental health issues as well as the journeys of those who just want to help. We will be be talking about therapy, medication, and being a source of comfort to others. We'll also be getting insights from mental health initiatives, Mindakami, and Reach Out to You. Okay, can I just say before we start, the the kids from part one are just so articulate. The amount of thought that they put into their answers and the way they are able to clearly express themselves. I mean, absolute queens, absolute queens. We we stand. (laughs) I completely agree. And we will be hearing more from them now. So have a listen to 12-year-old Susan and Khadija, as well as 14-year-old Ariel on how they found comfort in their loved ones. Well, um... By the help of my, my siblings, my parents, they just, uh, uh, well, they just motivate me a lot and they just, they're like my savior and I am really thankful for them for, for all of their help and, yeah, and motivation. Whenever I feel worried about something, I just talk to my parents about it. I think I always go to my mom because she comforts me a lot. And, you know, I mean, my parents, like I said, always tell me to do the best that you can do. But sometimes I take it wrongly and feel that, oh, you know, you have to get A's, you have to be number Mm. one. So when I take that wrongly, I just go to my mom and she says, no, just do your best. Do what you can do. So I think I get that comfort. Um, Personally, for me, like talking to someone has always been like the key to let go of stress because you have someone to, you know, comfort you, give you advice. So that's what I tell them because um, if you don't talk to someone, um, I always use this analogy where, you know, it's like you're filling up a jug of water and when it's full, it's just going to start, the water is going to start spilling 
you know, and that water spilling is you losing it and, you know, just lashing out at everyone. And that's not something we want. You want your st- stress to be controlled. While they may find comfort in talking to others, not everybody feels the same way. Ariel's sister, Amy, who is 11 years old, doesn't like talking to people about her problems. I always find more joy by doing fun things because, like, that whole talking thing doesn't really, like, help a lot. Mm. Because, like, it's really much more easier for me to do something fun because, like, the whole talking thing doesn't really work for me. And sometimes it's just really, really difficult to talk to your loved ones about your issues because maybe you don't want to hurt them or maybe you don't want to be hurt or maybe you just think that it's not a big issue. So now we hear how Kieran, um, how difficult it was for Kieran to speak about his issues in the beginning. Well, one, it is very embarrassing. <laughs> it is probably one of the most... You feel like you don't contribute to your family, to society, to yourself. And you feel like you're a mistake. You feel like you were born to fail. So to a large extent, it's almost as if uh, you have to hide it because you just can't let people know about it. So you have to keep quiet. Yeah, I didn't want to look for help because... I was so scared that it was real. And but when but it's better after a while. To be honest, I've been very lucky. I've been very very lucky because I've got family who really care about me. I've got friends who really care about me. And a lot of people make in my life, they've made a lot of adjustments for me. Almost like walking around eggshells around me when I'm going through something bad. And I know if I call out my friends, even if I call you, um, there's a lot of understanding on their parts. So I've been very, very lucky. But sometimes there'll be certain people who don't understand and that's perfectly fine because... What do you mean when you say they don't understand? Like, how do they react? They react in a way where it's almost as if they think tough love is going to help. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it does. Like, tough life like what like, like get over it get like, not just get over it but they'll push their fist down on the table they'll put their fist down on the table and they would go and say things like you don't have time for this you're an adult you have to move on you mm-hmm. have to be stronger mm-hmm. um, people don't understand things like this especially in Malaysia and you just have to grow up unfortunately as much as I want to as much as I want to grow up it's just like I said I'm in a hamster wheel in a well it's it seems or it feels um, next to impossible to be even to even get out of it you know i sometimes feel like i cannot tell a lot of people about my anxiety or how i feel because i feel like i also need to backtrack and say oh but i'm okay yeah oh but i'm okay you don't have to worry about it because i because the reaction would always be are you okay? Are you sure? And then I feel really bad for putting them in that situation because then they will feel worried, they will feel concerned, you know? But actually doing that, saying that I'm actually okay uh, doesn't help me with the healing process and it also solidifies like this idea that, oh, she's just having a bad day. This is not actually a terrible um, affliction or something that she still struggles with. 10-year-old Mei Ling thinks this is the reason why people find it hard to open up. 
Um, because they are scared to tell because they are scared that they would judge them or they would say, oh, it's nothing, mm-hmm. it's okay, you're not facing it, you're just, you're just saying you're facing it but it's actually not and they won't take it seriously. That's why I think they're scared. To find out more about this on why there is such a stigma on mental health conversations, I asked Zuleika, a mental health advocate and co-founder of Minda Kami, a Malaysian youth mental health initiative, why she thought that this was the case in Malaysia. It might be cultural, uh, it might be partly cultural because from my understanding, um, I, I've, I, we've talked about this quite a bit on our Twitter page, especially where we asked people, do you feel like you can talk about your emotions or your problems with your parents or family members? So I think at least 80% of people who voted oh, wow. on that poll says no, they don't really feel like they can do that. And that's like around like 600 people, I think, um, voted on that thing. That's huge. Yeah, which is like, whoa, there's a lot of people, man. So it's partly culture because even I grew up not really feeling like I can... It's, it's just a bit much, you know, to be vulnerable to your parents, even though you probably... That's the best and the most accessible way you can talk about your emotions, right? Especially when you're growing up. And yeah, yeah, yeah I think it's just embedded in our culture in where we've created this environment where people maybe it's an asian thing where you don't want to reveal yeah you don't want to inconvenience people you don't want to reveal your vulnerabilities your weaknesses so having quote-unquote negative emotions blah 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 are you know could be framed in a way that it is your weakness you know you don't want to reveal that to other people Sometimes it's also because you don't want to burden your friends or your loved ones because you know that they're going through a tough time as well. And this is how Iman feels. Um, that's the thing. Um, I feel like I have become a source of comfort for others. I have, I have uh, close friends who are diagnosed with depression, like really diagnosed by a doctor. It's like certified. And of course, they tell me their problems and of course I will comfort them but it really takes a toll after you talk to them yeah it it takes like a part like a part of not a part of yourself but the weight of the convo really it's really heavy when you actually talk to someone who has been through so much so and that's one of the reasons why I don't want to reach out to them I think it's more of the fear that my friends are also dealing with various problems and you're scared to reach out to them because you know that they're also dealing problems and you don't want to uh, give another weight on their shoulder. But oh. what I haven't been doing, um, like people say, you know, write out, let out your emotions through various ways. Some people sing, some people write. But I have actually been videotaping myself um, Probably like once a month or once a week. It's not really standard. But what I would do, I would uh, a video tape myself and just talk to myself. Just let it out. If like, if you have no one to talk to, then you know, talking to yourself through a camera really, really makes a difference. Um, yeah. I actually totally agree with you. Currently, I'm going through a difficult journey um, for our infertility. 
uh, for my fertility mm-hmm. and it's been really hard because I feel so alone and fertility is a lot like I, I I don't know how to explain it but as a woman I feel like it's my job I know I shouldn't but it feels like this is something that I was programmed and engineered biologically mm-hmm. to be able to do and I can't do it and it feels like not just mm-hmm. a failure and it feels quite shameful to tell other people that I have this issue so what I've been also doing is videotaping myself yeah. and you're absolutely right it, it totally really helps. helps because you feel like you don't have that burden of feeling like I'm burdening other people yes. but at the same time you become your own source of courage I feel like Um, there is a comfort when you start crying. Like, you feel better. It's true when people say you feel better when you start crying. So when you videotape yourself or you start talking to yourself, you start to realize you you had problems that you never knew you had because you were so scared to say it. But to verbalize it, To right? verbalize it is a problem. To realize that this is actually a problem. Um, and I feel like there's also no judgment when you... Because it's just you and yourself. Yeah, that's absolutely So true. when you start to... When tears start to fall and you click the stop button, you f- just feel an immense relief. It's as if like a part of your burden was taking off. Was, uh, Transferred was, into yeah. the video. Yes. Iman and I aren't the only ones who talk to ourselves and video ourselves in order to make ourselves feel better because we don't want to disturb our friends or family. Priya also feels the same way. I, I talk to myself all the time. It's I, I think it is my saviour. When you say <laughs> <laughs> Yes, you are your own saviour. Yes, it is now, this year particularly, I'm dealing with a lot of people who are in a compromised state of mind. I mean, I'm not blaming them in any way. They could be in a very toxic environment that they can't get out of. Um, but a lot of people, I think, don't um, seek help. You need to seek help. You need to talk to a therapist to exactly what you said, to talk things out. Mm-hmm. And when you talk things out, you can see the entire situation. And uh, I think I spoke to a writer friend of mine and he said it's so important for her to write because it allows her to break down her thoughts and structure her feelings onto paper so that she can see it from, yeah. from like a distance. So what do you do? Do you write or do you like do videos to yourself? Um, How do I, you talk to yourself? <laughs> I do a lot of thinking and... And like I said, I do talk aloud and sometimes I have I <laughs> have sort of like conversations with myself where I am the other person. This is what she tells herself in order to make herself feel better. Um, there are definitely things that are beyond my understanding, right? And then you just um if I think about it, I think I think this this state of mind that, that always helps me through is that time will solve everything and I know that's like a broad stroke general statement but I do use it in practical terms like right now even right now I'm going through something that I cannot that's really um, frustrating me and I, I don't know I can't see a way out and how I comfort myself is by understanding 100% and accepting 100% that this time next year this is a non-issue Mm-hmm. And I know it for sure. This time next year, it's a non-issue. And I know it's difficult to see one year into the future because you can't imagine something that you've not gone through. So what I do is I imagine myself this time 
last year. Oh, so when I see my, remember this time last year? Remember all the things that you go through? Do you even remember it now? It is a non-issue. You will be fine this time next year. Now let's go back to Jenny and see how she's holding up. How did she cope with her mental health issues? Have you taken medication for what you have? I have, but it didn't work for me. But I don't, I feel like I don't reject medication, meaning that I don't think, oh, we should, we should do every, we shouldn't take medication. I think that for some people, medication may work. But I feel like when it comes to medication, it should be coupled with, um, um, as in like change of behavior and building habits, good habits. Yeah, I remember um, what I wanted to get at with this was that a lot of people find medication as like a cure-all, a way out. That if you're sad or depressed, medication will make you feel instantly better. But people don't tell you about the side effects of medication, yep. right? What's Can you bad? tell me a little bit about what happened with your experience with medication? Um, so I tried two types of medication. Um, one was to help me with my ADHD. And the second one was to help me with my depression. Um, ADHD uh, didn't work well. And I think it's more like um, I had a lot of... Um, attention i wanted more help for my depression rather than my adhd so initially i tried adhd medication but i still feel you know depressed so i said can we look at um how to help with my depression and i tried the medication but i realized that um, medication didn't work for me because i tried this one medication for depression and i started having ringing in my ear but, um, initially i thought i could you know, cope with it. You know how disturbing that was? To be okay with living with a ringing in your ear because it just made me feel better. And I initially, I wanted, I, I was like, okay with it. I would trade this ringing in my ear f- to f- make, to, so I can just feel better on a daily basis. But I realized that I couldn't sleep at night. Like, it's, it, when you have that ringing in your ear, you just, it's, it's like this constant noise that you just can't, when it's, when it's quiet and night, you just can't sleep. So I realized, oh, this may be a bad just idea. Trading different pains. Yeah. So I checked online that there, some people do complain that it might cause like um, permanent Genetics. damage. Oh my god. Yeah. So I was, I kind of freaked out, and I was quite upset with my psychiatrist. Doctor, yeah. She didn't warn me of certain um, side effects. Side effects, and not only that, she didn't tell me what. I should do if a side effect were to affect me. So I think it's very important when you are recommended medication to understand what are the side effects and what you can do if to stop it. Because there are some cases you cannot simply stop medication. You have to taper it off. So those kind of things that you should find out before you take on any medication. And I was quite upset with my psychiatrist back then that she didn't warn me about these kind of things. So I also believe when it comes to medical professionals, um, it's also, it's it's not like one fits all as well. You need to find a psychiatrist or a therapist who can, um, who fits for what you want. Like, like for me, I realised I didn't like, I wasn't very, I didn't work well with that psychiatrist, even though she uh, is uh, focused on ADHD. And I found different um, psychiatrists, um, medical, I, I think a psychiatrist or a therapist to help me. And I realized he 
really helped me, but I couldn't find time for him. It was that, very hard to find time. That was some. Uh, it was a different ter- type of therapy, right? Was it yeah. called? Yeah. So he was more on focus on. Um, he had. I think he was more on meditation and. Uh, what he was knows. Uh, more like um, uh, mindful. Uh, mindfulness. Mindful, mindfulness, which I was. I was very interested in and I really believe in and he also did meditation so he helped me he helped he taught me how to meditate properly and that really helped me later on but I realized I stopped him because I couldn't find the time I couldn't he was very hard to reach so I found a different therapist who not only I feel I could work with the one you have now yeah it's oh not only I could work with but also it's e- uh, it's easier for me to reach her and she's a therapist, right? She's not a psychiatrist. Yes, correct. Yeah, so, so sometimes some people, it's not medication, right? Yes. For me, um, it wasn't medication because the side effects were quite bad. It was certain points of time where I started vomiting, nausea and oh things no. like that. Yeah. So I think it's... Um, but I do believe that some people, it can really help. Because I remember at that point in time when I first took that depression medication, it was... How did you feel? I felt, I felt better. Like, I didn't, I didn't feel, you know, I didn't feel so depressive on a daily basis. Like, I just feel in a good place. I didn't feel super happy. I didn't feel super sad. Just in a good place, you know. In a neutral place. Yeah, in a neutral <laughs> place. And I think some sometimes medication can really. It's not there to be to just give you that. It's the answer, but it helps you when you're in a good place. It's easier to set up good habits. In contrast, medication worked on Kieran with a few caveats. Uh, So how do you cope with this? Because I would imagine that this is quite difficult for you. Um, Well, medication... Okay, yeah. Can we destigmatize medication for a little bit? Why, how did you feel the first time the doctor said, hey, you need to be on medication? I felt relieved. Because, oh, really? Yeah, that, I that's did. That's great. Because I was like, oh my gosh, there's going to be this thing that's going to help me. There's going to be this pill I just have to take every day and eventually I'll be a normal functioning person. But unfortunately, that's not how the medication works. Okay, so how does the medication work? That, what does it do? Every medication... So my doctor, so I can't speak for everyone, but my, my psychiatrist treats me using the side effects of the pills at the same time using the actual effects of the pills. Okay. For example, if I'm going through a bout where I can't sleep, he will prescribe me medication that makes Just, me drowsy. Okay. So he helps in that respect. So he's trying to find better quality of life. But generally medication, no matter which one you take, does take a bit of time. So people think when they take the pill for the first three days, they're going to be like a happy penguin, like they're just normal. normal, happy. But that's not the case. Usually it takes about three weeks, six weeks before oh, it starts really? kicking in. So you have to really just fight through it for the next two, three weeks. So it's not a cure-all. It's not a cure-all. And it helps ease to a certain extent. Um, but you're still going through the same, the same thing, just less. Oh, so it just numbs. Would you say it's like a painkiller? Like it numbs most of the effect, but there's like a dull ache that stays. Yep. And is medication something that, in your experience, that you have to constantly take? 
Yes. So I'm a candidate for long-term medication. Is it because the hormones? Um, Is it biological? I'm not entirely sure because I've got two different doctors. Mm. So one is for hormones, one is for mental health. And the both of them, they know each other, so they say it's connected. But of course, they don't really know. The problem with medication, especially when it comes to psychiatry and things like mm. that, is that they don't really know how to treat you. You're a guinea pig. <laughs> so it takes a while. It takes a couple of years. Yeah. So you need to figure out what works, what doesn't work. Like recently, I've just been put on this mood stabilizer, mm. which was used to make me drowsy to sleep. Mm. But for some reason, it worked very well. And it was by chance that the doctor prescribed me this new medication. And it just worked. But he wasn't going to prescribe it to me at, at all. The beginning. Yeah. yeah. So... You're really kind of like a guinea pig. I don't want to scare people to say that, okay, don't go for medication. You should if you need it. But just be prepared that it's also another journey. It's yeah. going to take some time. Speaking on getting help, sometimes it's not just the mental and physical fear of having to see a doctor, but also the financial fear of seeing one. Because you'll think, how much will it cost? Can I afford it? So Masmira, co-founder of Reach Out To You, a youth-led initiative aimed at increasing mental health awareness, enlightened me about the many government-supported affordable mental health care providers available out there. Uh, as you know, there are many government hospitals who actually have psychology department. They have uh, for child psychologists and also they have adult psychology treatment. So for child psychologists, if you're still schooling and if you're going to university, you can actually get free therapy. You don't even have to pay a single oh. cent. So you will have to go through because throughout my therapy sessions, I did not pay anything at all. But if you are an adult, then there will be approximately uh, 15 ringgit, 10 to 15 oh, wow. ringgit for That's per so session. Affordable. Yeah, it's very affordable actually. So you can actually go to visit the psychiatric first and you discuss with them, you can talk to them and they will actually advise you what is the most suitable therapy for you. It's a group therapy, individual therapy, and so on. And they will plan for you what is the best medication. Or you don't need medications because at first, uh, even for me, they started off with medications. Then when time went by, they stopped the medications because they say it's better that I don't depend on the medications. So they actually know what they're doing because we also tend to feel like our Malaysian doctors or psychiatric yeah. psychology is good enough. Actually, yeah, that's my question now, actually. <laughs> Sorry. I know it's, it's, it's terrible and I love the fact that you're addressing it. Are, did, were you treated kindly there? I, I would say I had the best psychologist. He, he changed my mind. He changed the way that I'm thinking right now. And I also had the best psychiatric. The, the, they gave us such a good good ex it's, it's an experience i would say experience therapy uh they helped me to heal a lot internally and they helped me to find a path they helped me to motivate me and they were very very patient um organizations like uh, miasa do you know miasa so they have no. miasa is an organization where they have the circle time support uh, that caters for muslims so it's only five ringgit per registration fee. 
and then you can go wow. for the sessions for free. We also have uh, the help talk. It's online, so you don't have to go physically right now. It's very suitable because the pandemic, the virus is everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> so the help talk is online, and you will pay like forty eight ringgit for a week. So it depends on how many sessions you want, and you also have a JPA. Uh, Malaysian Public Service Department. They also have like psychology sessions, counseling sessions, and so on. That is free. <laughs> so those were just some great examples of affordable mental health care providers, which you can access if you do need the help. I, I think it's great that there are accessible and affordable healthcare providers out there. But um, I, I don't know about you, but. On a personal level, I I never know what to say when someone's telling me about their issues, and even when I do say something, it's it's usually a variation of like oh oh that sucks man or or oh kesian you. I mean I don't know if that's helping or I'm making things worse. I think a lot of other people feel that way as well, and this is what we're going to talk about next: how our guests act as a source of comfort to other others and the difficulties that they face. So let's start with 38-year-old Priya. I think uh, just uh, people around me who are closest to me, I can see at least five people who are are spiraling downwards, going into depression. And when I say spiraling downwards, that means they they're giving up and they're becoming defensive and they're acting out and they are uh, becoming passive aggressive. Mm. And um, I think I think. You know, you're doing this to destigmatize uh, talking about mental health, and there's a lack of support for people who goes through mental health, and there's also a lack of support for people who are um, caregivers, yeah, or like yeah, to family or friends who are with has to live with or friends with uh, mental health patients, right? Because yeah. even in the last three weeks, and I, I think I'm I'm okay saying this that I had three friends who had. Uh, suicidal attempts and sometimes you want to help but you feel like you don't have the capacity to do so or you don't have the resources to do so and you don't have the language in order to make your loved one feel better they feel bad for feeling bad and it was just in fact this week that um, one of my friends are going through a mental breakdown so I'm like you know you should Look, I just I was honest with her and said I I don't have the capacity to help you. I don't know how to react. I don't know how what to say. Cause she's started saying, started <clears throat> bringing up suicide, mm. and and she's like, no, I don't want to go to the hospital because you know what if it's nothing, and then they just dismiss me. Mm, that will make her feel even worse because then her feelings are not validated. Correct, but. Not doing anything is also. It's also so you're you're kind of stuck in a situation. So you need to seek the expert who will not do that, right? Because if you go to the hospital, say I want to be admitted in the psych ward, these are the people who can help you. And if they don't really, there's there's no recourse for you. Which is why talking about it um, allows people to start opening up about mental health. Then you can talk to anyone and. And giving support to also people who give support to mental health patients also important so that as a community, we have that uh, resource and ability to help those in need and help 
us help those in need. Yeah. Iman feels the same way as well. Sometimes she says she doesn't have the words to say to properly help her friend. It's hard because you you can't you you can't give you can't give any advice because you so, you yourself don't know a solution. So all you can do is just listen and just be there. I think just that's the best advice for if you're you're having you you're having a friend who's going through depression or your family member is just to listen and be there don't try to be the smart person in the room and try to give a solution or question them it's a wrong move because they might feel attacked and they might actually go back into their shell where they won't reach out to you so i think the best thing to do is just to be there and just listen to their problems and just comfort them and tell them that it's going to be okay Iman is absolutely right and unfortunately I have also been guilty of the crime of denying a loved one's of her pain and suffering because I wanted myself to feel better about it and it caused a lot of damage so here is my conversation with Jenny on this issue because myself I have a very close loved one who is going through a tough time and sometimes she goes through the first i remember the first time she told me she has an issue the first reaction was no this can't be and i didn't realize that at that time i was doing a lot of damage to my friend because when i told her that no you i'm sure you don't have depression i'm sure you don't have a mental health issue i'm sure this is just a bad day i actually made her be in a defensive position in order for her to suddenly justify her feelings to me and to tell me that she's actually going through a hard time and when i said those things i delegitimize what she's going through i make what she's going through seem smaller and more trivial than it is that it's not something that she has to get help for it's just something that she has to suck it up and i realized that i was guilty of that crime because i myself didn't want to face the fact that somebody i really love and really care about is going through this really really hard thing and now in hindsight i realize that me not wanting to face the fact that my loved one is going through something is also such a selfish reason and because of that this person wasn't able to feel comfortable talking to me about this until much much later and that's why i also wanted to tell people who have loved ones going through this the first thing that you need to respond to them is firstly don't deny belittle or trivialize their feelings because sometimes whatever they tell you is a lot smaller than what they're actually going through and you telling them that i'm sure it's okay i'm sure everything is basically telling them that they don't have what they think they have is actually really damaging to their self-esteem. Knowing what I know now is really difficult to hear what I used to think and sometimes it's even incredulous to hear that those were the sentiments that I hold and that I thought that I was actually doing good for my loved ones, for my friend, that I was actually making her better by telling her that it's not a big deal. Now this next conversation may be difficult to hear but I thought it was still important to highlight because a lot of people feel the same way as Jerry. Sometimes loved ones are not just in denial about 
their friends or family's condition, but they also suddenly sometimes feel victimized by it because suddenly this loved one is not who they think they are and they are suddenly this new form burden. From from my standpoint as a support system, I came <clears throat> into the relationship not expecting any of this. So when when the clinical diagnosis came by and <clears throat> presented to me by my partner, I felt in a way cheated, you know, because in, in my mind, oh I didn't sign up for this. You know? Oh my god! And 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 I. How did she take that? <laughs> did she know? She knows. She knows. And uh, that's another part we're going to talk about later. It's about communication. But she knows, and I know that I acted poorly, and yeah, I, I indeed had quite the. Why did you think that? Is it because you felt like mental health or like anxiety disorder is like this big big thing that you? How do I say? The way that you describe it to me, I'm not trying to make it sound crass, but mm-hmm. it's like when you buy a product and you find out the product was defective and then you're like, this is not what I paid for. Mm-hmm. Is that why what you felt? And is it because you attach the negative stigma to mental health issues? It is. It is exactly like that. Because I, I, I in a way, if, if, I may, as I, if I may put it crudely, I paid for a brand new Mercedes-Benz, you know, with no mileage. But now you're coming to me Saying that it has two hundred thousand dollar on the mileage, uh, to, sorry, two hundred thousand kilometers on the mileage, and it has a broken mirror or it has a faulty manifold, and you're expecting me to drive this, and you're asking me to commit the full term loan of a brand new car. So, oh my god! <laughs> so I I know I do have to apologize. It might not sound uh, anywhere pleasant, but this is how I reacted. And I have to admit, I was wrong. I was in the in totality. I was wrong. I was mistaken. Since then, Jerry has learned much about Jenny's condition. When I asked him what advice he would give to the loved ones who are feeling the same way he does, this is what he says. There's, there's not much knowledge that I can impart. But all I can say is, if you love your partner enough, you should have enough patience to really cut through all her problems, cut through all her negative afflictions to really see the beauty that is your partner. And that's very, 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 very important because what she really is, of course, her mental health affliction is part of her, but that's not the only part of her. But yes, sometimes it's difficult. Even when you have the best intentions, even when you give them that space to pour out their heart, sometimes you are not in a good place either. And sometimes those emotions can also bring you down. It's, it is unfair. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, way. you know, we're trying our best. And, and you know, when, when I, I, in a moment of weakness and I get really childish, I'm like, you think I don't go through shit? Mm. You think this is easy for me? You're the yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, like, yeah. We're suddenly we're caught up in the emotion, yeah, and yeah, we're suddenly true. spiraling downwards. And yeah. it's important for your caregivers and your loved ones, if, if you are going through mental health issues, to also remain strong mm. for you. And there is a lack of literature and uh, and how to help, right? Yeah. And sometimes when your friend is coming to you for help, it's okay to not pick up the phone mm-hmm. once yeah. in a while. I, I have done that. 
it's it's not often, but there are times where you don't want to talk to them because you're you're not in a good place. So like I when I'm not in a good place and I talk to my friends and they tell me their problem, I might I know that I might lash out, hmm. and it creates a worse situation where you know you can get into fights. So usually, if I'm not in a good place myself, where it's not that I don't want to entertain them. It's just that mentally, I can't handle the weight of the conversation. I would usually, and that's okay because we are also flawed. And on a good day, though, we have the capacity to bring a lot of light to our loved ones who are going through a tough time. And here, I would like to give you some advice from ten-year-old Meiling. I would tell them not to be sad that because I am there for them. If they need any help at all, I will be there for them and help them throughout the way. Oh, I wish more people reacted like Meiling. Unfortunately, people are more quick to judge and people are more quick to compare. It's much easier for them to say things like, I also had a difficult past or I also had a difficult childhood. How come I don't have the same mental illness as you? Or maybe they'll say, actually, maybe I do have the, men- the same mental illness as you. And that kind of thinking and that kind of dialogue really doesn't help people who are going through something difficult right now. Here is why. It, this would actually you know encapsulate whatever they say which is you know um, you shouldn't use ADHD as an excuse mm. and I think that really hit me hard When what do they mean by as an excuse? because like oh don't use um, ADHD as a as an excuse or a way out for like I think what they were thinking is that you know I'm gonna use it as a crutch you know like to people now, oh I have ADHD that's why this happens to me that's why I'm like this and things like that oh. uh, as an excuse to people why I'm like this but at, at the end this? of what do you mean this it, why I forget things or why I mm. tend to make a lot more mistakes than people do or like like how I am right now when I'm not in a great mental state when I'm not strong enough to make certain decisions or do certain things. So they think you're just making excuses for yourself? Yeah. That's terrible. So I think, but I think that came from um, an, a side of ignorance. ignorance. Yeah. yeah. So I think at that point of time, they didn't understand, you know, what what ADHD meant. And I think, um, and I think as, at, I mean, they should have just like, patiently listen and try and I'm sure they have like if you if uh, some advice lah um, if you have somebody who opens up to you like this don't be too quick to say no just listen and try and understand what is it that they're going through and most times um, your loved ones just want to feel heard they just want to feel less alone with their struggles and they just want some of your attention because you are someone they value and love which is something that Priya believes in the people who talk to me are people who feel neglected they feel abandoned they don't feel like they're listened to actually that's it so 
I, 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 it's, it sounds bad. I just, they just want some attention, like some spotlight on no, them. No, no, you're is how completely I feel. right. This, yeah. this is what I think about this movie and this is what... You know, they just want somebody to, to listen. Yeah, so no, like They're just no, feeling alone and neglected and nobody's really listening. Yeah. So that's all they want, really. And they don't really have to go through an episode for me to sit down and spend time. Yeah, yeah. And... And uh, you asked me earlier, what's the sauce? What's the trigger? And I think this is the trigger. I think a large portion of the community at any age is feeling neglected. And um, nobody is being that person to just spend time and like, oh, I have value as a person. Someone cares about what I think and what I say. So I do make a habit to just check in on everyone and just have, even if it's empty conversation, just to like, hey, you know, I care. I care about what books you read, what books you don't read, what you eat for breakfast or lunch or dinner. Did you cook? You did not cook. What do you think of this person? It's just empty conversation, but it makes, even me, right? It makes me feel like, oh, I am a person and I have colors and somebody's interested to see these colors that I have and I'm a beautiful person. Priya is absolutely right. Sometimes it's just about knowing that your loved one is there for you when you need them. So what I usually do, at least it works for me and my partner, is that when she's having an episode, you know, I always tell her, communicate with her, it's like, okay, um, you're going through something, you know? So I always tell her that, look, um, I'm trying to be supportive to you. You can talk to me about it. And I I cannot even begin. Uh, and the thing is, a lot of people would say, oh, you're going to be fine. You're going to be okay. Right? But with my partner, that does not necessarily work. So all I can offer to her, I cannot lie to her saying that, ah, it's not a big deal. Mm, to so her, it, that, that's bad too. That's bad too. But the thing is, being a support system, sometimes you are inclined to tell her that, t- tell the partner that, ah, oh, it's going to be okay. But she's going through an episode. Every single part of her is mulling over the worst case scenario. And then you, you come over there and tell everything's going to be fine. She's, she's already thought about a million ways how things could go wrong. And all I can, all I can offer her to say that everything's going to be okay, that, that's nonsense. You know? So to me, for what works with my relationship, I always say, Sayang, I can't guarantee that it's going to be okay. But whatever it is, what might happen, you know, I'm here for you. I'll, I'll be there for you. You know, so if, if push comes to shove, things get worse, at the very least, you know, you still have me. I won't, I'm not going anywhere. And don't worry, they don't expect you to solve their problems for them. Sometimes they just want you to listen. As a support system, both on both ends, as the person afflicted with mental health and the person supporting it, when your significant partner, significant other shares some things to you, you have to bear in mind that you're not always the designated troubleshooter. You're not. Sometimes... They don't come to you for solutions sometimes, they don't, actually. They don't, yeah. And as a legal practitioner who... Always need to provide always solutions. Always need to provide solutions for people. I... I I cannot help but to put myself in the uh, in the driver's seat of a problem solver, and that always leads to conflict. Because when she's sharing certain things, it's not that she doesn't know the answer. So when, if I say when, when when we go back to the problem which she had with her friend, she knows it's zero confrontation. She's just she's just coming to me so that she can talk about it. Then she can feel 
she'll feel better about it. You she know? knows she has to reply. <laughs> she knows she has to of reply. Of course, right? Of course. So she's, yeah. I mean, she's brilliant enough of a woman to understand that she has to reply at the end of the day. So yeah. don't be the troubleshooter. You know? Don't be a smart aleck in the yeah. relationship. Being kind and being patient is so, so important. And it's not just for others, but to yourself too. Always remember to be kind and patient to yourself. And this is the advice that Jenny gave. If there was something that she could tell herself back in the past when she was really, really going through a tough time, she said that this is what she would have told herself back then. Now, last time when I used to look back at myself, I used to be very angry. I used to question myself like, why was I like this? Why was I like that? Why, how, how did I become like this? And I wish I could, I remember back then, I wish I could ask myself, how, how is it, how do you be happy? How can you be happy? And I think now when I look back at myself and I see that part of myself, I feel like just, I feel like hugging that person and telling that person, that part of myself that, you know, it's okay. Um, You've been very strong. And that just to be more forgiving of my mistakes and know that um that this whole time that you've been very strong and not that you were not trying hard enough. No. So we've come to the end of the episode. We here at Seek to Speak just wanted to thank all of our guests for having the courage to speak on this topic. We know it wasn't easy at times, and we appreciate their honesty. We'd also like to thank Minda Kami and Reach Out To You for being part of this episode. Do check out the helpful resources that they provide on their platforms. We will include the links in this week's show notes. Lastly, we want to thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode and we hope it gave you a little bit of insight of what ordinary Malaysians face. If you'd like to hear more from us, check out our other episodes. For more public speaking resources, check out our website, seektospeak.com and do show us some love on our socials, Seek to Speak. Remember to check in on someone you love, practice a bit of self-care and be kind to yourself and to others as well. Talk to you soon. soon.